Anyway, since we seem to be out of witnesses, I thought I'd drink a little. And now we're recording. How are you doing, Tyler? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing, Rob? I'm pretty good. It's Saturday. This is not our normal Friday afternoon thing. Nope. Um, you have not been in the office for a week because you are a father, a new father. Yeah, did that again. And so we've been uh, very busy. So I took, yeah, I took uh, seven work days off and then the weekend in between. So you're, Are you going to take like the full year off or... Oh, do I get that? Can I do that? Is it 18 months now? Is it? Eight? Yeah, you're right. It is 18 months. Yeah, I never thought about that. You know what? Put me down for that. That's what I'll do. Yeah, I think that would be good. I think uh, <laughs> it's always struck me as odd because if you work for government, right, you just get paid, you know, whatever. I wonder if we could swing that with our clients, if we could say, well, you know, I'm on paternity leave. And so I'm going to send you a little bill every month. I'm not doing any work, but you kind of have, you know, a bit of an obligation to support new children and the development yeah. of uh, the family and society. It's kind of we're all paying politicians. We're all paying yeah, government exactly. workers. Why not? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's do it for Tyler. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think that's going to go over very well. With I anybody. think not. I think when no. you're in business, uh, things are a little more. Uh, Machiavellian, <laughs> yes. in some sense. We're going to talk maybe about that today. Um, right, yeah. So um, I'm not drinking a, a, a straight law cocktail because I just got off the golf course about an hour ago. A little red. Um, I'm drinking iced tea, rum, simple syrup, and lemon. It's delicious. There you go. I'm having an old-fashioned because the last week I missed my old-fashioned friend Rob. So here we are, making up for it. Well. So there we are. And if you're watching us, pour yourself a drink. Um, today's going to be weird, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I tweeted a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think we missed a week, didn't we? Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, I think because your baby was born. And, On the Friday, you know, yeah. And I did toy with the idea of doing this all by myself. But, <laughs> you know, it just seemed a little bit, I don't know, self-indulgent. So You need a co-host. I know. I, I suppose I could have added my kid. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a couple of degrees. He's a smart boy, sure. He does. He's got he's got one more degree than I do. So <laughs> there you go. Um, so what I wanted to talk about today is uh, that the, the the title, the topic was the importance of myth in justice, um, which sounds maybe a little esoteric, a little odd. But what got me thinking about it is I've been, I've been a little bit cynical about justice, about the problems with access to justice. Uh, I was kind of giving the gears to the system last week, uh, or last time we did our podcast. And you, know, you can't turn on the news without seeing rioting in the streets. And now they're trying to burn down a federal courthouse in Portland and... And everybody's upset with justice, and I think justifiably so. Um, I don't think people are treated equally in the justice system. Um, we've talked about this before, but I do think that money buys a better standard of justice mm -hmm. than 
not having money, particularly if you can afford a lawyer, which a lot of people can't do. So, um, so after being kind of cynical about it, I thought, well, what happens if we deconstruct it, right? We, you know, we want to decommission the police all over North America. Uh, we want to burn down the federal courthouse in, in Portland. Why don't we just bring the whole system down, right? And then it struck me that justice is more important than the reality of it. And that the concept of justice, or if you will, the myth of justice has an incredible value to a functioning society, even if the reality falls short of that. So that's so what I thought we'd talk Is about. what you're saying then that uh, without people buying into justice or justice as a result of our systems, uh, we would have less social order? Is that is that the worry? Yeah, I think so. Okay, um, all right. I sent you a little video today um, it was, uh, uh, there's two guys talking, one of them is Jordan Peterson. And whenever you say Jordan Peterson, half of the population loses their mind. I'm cringing. Yeah, I cringe for sure. Because they see him as, uh, nutty. uh, what are the, what's the term du jour? Uh, I have a few. Neocon. He's a neocon, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, but what got me thinking about it, they were talking about the, the importance of myth and the, the heroic myth, um, in particular, the concept of religion. Okay, yeah. Um, and, and one thing he kind of said was, if you don't have uh, something to base your society on, uh, like a foundation of some kind, you either have chaos or you have the crowd, is the way he put it. And the concept was you either have anarchy or you have your welfare at the whim of, of the tyranny of the majority. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And if you will, that didn't work out very well for black people for a good part of the last 200 years in North America. And some would say even today. So because the majority thought slavery was okay for a period that certainly couldn't have made it okay clearly. Right. And then the alternative, anarchy, well, I, you and I are both lawyers. I think you'd have to be a moron to think that anarchy is a, is a suitable social construct. It took about a right. week for the chop area of Seattle to start turning up bodies That's and right. so forth. Uh, yeah. Anarchy gets you nowhere. So, so Jordan Peterson said, you, you need something to believe in. You have to have an aspirational goal or a hero archetype, he would say. And I think he's right. And I think as much as we like to shit on justice and point out the flaws, I think the idea of it is still important. You know, it goes back over 2000 years. Themis, right? It, it, most US courthouses, you see this Themis, and a lot of lawyers in Canada, you'll see Themis, the Greek mm -hmm. goddess, you know, holding up scales of justice <clears throat> with a blindfold. That, that, that vision of justice as something pure and impartial to decide right from wrong really is the cornerstone of democracy, of freedom, don't you think? Yeah, I think I disagree with you a little. Uh, okay, well, 
This is good. So tell me your thoughts. I think, you know what? I don't think we're going to have anarchy without having a belief in uh, something bigger or scarier or better. I don't know. I think that, I think that, or maybe, maybe I do agree. I think that people are too afraid of anarchy. We want to have, uh, we want to have a little bit, bit of control. And so we give up some of our liberties for that security and we would do so in any sort of system we've got, uh, right? Like I want to make sure that I'm not going to get run down when I walk my kids across the street. So when I'm driving, I basically obey the traffic laws. Uh, or at least that, you know, if there wasn't traffic laws, I'm sure I would drive safely and avoid running people over. I think that there's this exchange that we make because we're so afraid of anarchy. Uh, and I think that that's a good foundation for people uh, to operate on, right? So you're kind of talking about social contract theory kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. And do you think that exists? And this is an interesting point because you, you are, I think it'd be fair to say, uh, somewhat religious. Yeah. You attend church fairly regularly. It depends who you ask in the congregation, but yeah, I go. Yeah, I yeah. don't go at all. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, the last time I went to church of my own volition was probably uh, never. <laughs> I've gone to church with my wife and, uh, and, and I don't hate it. I don't, right. you know, throw rocks at the priest or anything, Right. Um, but I'm sort of agnostic bordering on atheist, but and every time I see you, you don't like punch me in the head or run no. me down with your car. No, I mean, you know, Just I worked sometimes. with an office full of Mormons for better part of two decades. And they're pretty religious people. And I got along with them just fine. And, and, okay. and so, so here's the interesting thing. As much as I'm not religious, I think the idea of religion, the, the uh, again, what, what Jordan Peterson would call the, the heroic archetype, uh, for example, Jesus Christ, even if you don't believe in him, the aspirational model of that myth has a resonance that is worth aspiring to to emulate. And I think justice is like that. I think if we, I don't think we need to uh, believe that justice exists in, in a perfect form to aspire to what justice purports to offer mm. is kind of where I come from, I guess. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I get that. And so, you know, it's, um, I heard somebody talking about the United States on a, on a history podcast last week. Um, uh, a guy named Dan Carlin had a, had a, a guest on and, and he, and he talked about um, the idea of the United States of America, for example, even if it doesn't meet the ideals of the Constitution, the fact is the Constitution was a pretty amazing piece of work and it's worth aspiring to achieve its goals, right? right? Um, and I guess that's how I'm feeling about justice. I think we can point out its problems and when the emperor's got no clothes on um, and is failing to meet its obligations, I think as participants in that, particularly lawyers, it behooves us to in fact point at it, go, that's not right, right? Yeah. This, we need to do better, right. but we can still believe in the idea of justice. We can still aspire to that, that never attainable perfection where people in difficulty can come before a neutral arbiter 
and have that person dispense uh, justice. Um, and I think we're struggling with that as a society right now. And so I kind of wanted to talk about that and get your thoughts. And yeah, let's think about that for a sec. Going to a neutral arbiter where they dispense justice. So I got my, uh, I, I did my training in collaborative law in October. And collaborative law is this thing where you agree, you're actually not going to go in front of a neutral arbiter. You're not going to go to court. You are going to work with some experts in the area where your dispute is and you're going to negotiate uh, hopefully with the guidance of those experts and uh, that gives the control to the parties uh, who have the dispute and they get to sort of make their own justice and so i'm not sure i think that there's these different models right and having a neutral arbiter is something that we think of right we think about judges and robes and courthouses and gavels and we think uh, about juries and we think maybe that's what justice is somebody will go and hear me out I get to say my piece and justice will be dispensed. And maybe that's not it. Maybe that's not the way to achieve it. Uh, I think if you can play an active role in choosing your own fate, uh, your own justice, maybe we're getting a little closer to what justice actually is. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I've been strongly involved in collaborative law for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, we were, we were amongst the first people in Canada to establish collaborative law organizations. I was on the original board in Alberta. I'm former president of Alberta Collaborative Divorce. So I believe in that. I'm a mediator, so are you, and I believe in that. Um, I'm not sure I would call that justice. You know, and, and maybe it's just semantics, but it's yeah. dispute resolution um, for sure, and a better way to resolve disputes for sure, right? So if you and I have a problem, I mean, the ideal is we sit down, we discuss in some way what that problem is, we understand each other's viewpoints, and we try to find some mutually acceptable solution so we can move forward, and particularly where you've got a relationship that needs to subsist, right. families for children, for example. That's the ideal, clearly. Yeah. But to me, justice, talking about the justice system, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying, but... I think it's ingrained in you, right? I think it's a little bit ingrained in you that that's justice because that's our construct. That's what we have set up, is we have this adversarial system that dispenses something, whether it be justice on any given day or not, I don't know, but they dispense something uh, in this adversarial system. And to me, I think about that and I think, look, we got this adversarial system, both parties put their best foot forward. And oftentimes you have a win-lose, winner-takes-all sort of situation. Sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes there will be a little in between. Um, and what are the chances in that sort of win-lose situation, that adversarial system, that a judge is going to pick one side and that one side has actually purported true justice? And I guess I guess where I'm coming from is not disagreeing with you that that problem resolution mm -hmm. lends itself to things other than arbitration on some level. Yeah. Um, and probably are superior to asking someone else to impose a resolution upon you. I guess where I'm coming from is, you know, particularly if you look at criminal law, which we don't mm -hmm. do. Right. 
but even in the, in the area that we practice in family law, if people can't come to an agreement, right? Yeah. You're into, I guess, what I would call the formal justice system yeah. or dispute resolution by a neutral arbiter. And I, and I think that's kind of where I go is the idea of that. I mean, what are the alternatives, right? We, the alternatives are, um, you know, simple rule of the, uh, you know, might is right. Power yeah. of the powerful, you know, override the meek. Yeah. Um, well, that can't be a, a way to operate society where the people that either are the most uh, powerful physically uh, that can impose threats upon you or the people that have the most money get to do what they want. Um, I think most people would agree with you that that's, you know, so you get back to this concept of, of the rule of law, that the rules apply to everyone yeah, and they should apply to everyone equally, regardless of, you know, immutable characteristic, regardless of gender, race, religion. Um, yeah. Right. Um, so you start with that concept and I don't know that anyone would disagree with that. Do you right. think? No, I think you're right. I think most people equate justice with some sort of a principled approach. And I think, uh, I think the most common principle that people would say, uh, describe justice as would be fairness, right? Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, to have a neutral third party arbiter, uh, people might see that as being fair. Uh, now, what are the chances that gets you a just result? Um, I guess, Maybe it's at least as good as flipping a coin. Maybe it's better. I don't know. Uh, yeah. And I've said this before, you know, flipping a coin in its own way is a neutral form of justice. Oh, and completely unbiased. Right? Yeah. Um, and when it's a win-lose proposition, and there's nothing stopping you from doing yeah. that. Yeah. You know, so there is that. Um, yeah. I think what I worry about, I guess, is, and, and you've got a philosophy background. I don't. I, I was an English major, so. You know, I could talk about Chaucer or Shakespeare or some bullshit, but, <laughs> uh, but I worry that we are moving towards something that approaches uh, nihilism. Okay. Right? That we don't believe in anything. That um, the justice, if you will, or the, uh, the application of, of rules upon society people begin to believe that, that it doesn't really exist, that it's all nothingness, right? And, and so that the, worries me. And, and so I why think, does that worry you? Is it, is it the breakdown of social order that concerns you? Well, I mean, fighting, Or is yeah, it the fact right? that this is something you've dedicated your life to? Yeah, you've got, not real. I mean, it's, no, I think I could let it go if I didn't think it mattered, right? I'm at the end of my career getting close to it. So Why does it matter to you? If I believed that it was all just bullshit completely, yeah, you know, I'd go get a job at A and W or some crap, <laughs> right? You know, not I worry love about a it. Yeah, yeah, but I think it matters, you know. And I think when we watch, um, you know, I, I guess what bothered last week I'm watching people trying to start the federal courthouse on fire in Portland, and I'm like, this is bullshit. This is I not acceptable. Right. I hate Portland. Yeah. I love I mean, if Portland. Portland could fall into the ocean, it wouldn't break my heart. 
I love it. Um, see, I would never go there. Love the people. So much fun. So much to do. Yeah. If you said, here's $100,000, go to Portland for a week, I'd go, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> I'll pass. But so, so what bothers me, though, is, and, and it's not so much that I hate these people that are doing it. That's not it at all because I think I have a sense where they're coming from, even though it's not my experience, obviously, but yeah. there is a nihilism in, in, their, in their reaction to, and I don't even think it's, it's, it's police brutality per se. I think that's a motivating factor, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's a loss of, of belief, right? They've lost the idea that they believe in something um, and that is problematic, right? And, and closer to home, you know, there's some lawyer actually on Twitter last week. And, we, you know, we all know what's happening with the We Charity scandal and Justin Trudeau and Bill Morneau. Yeah. Bill Morneau sort of forgot that he got a $41,000 benefit from the We Charity before he gave him $900 million, but not actually to a charity, to a company that's a real estate holding company. Um, with no background check, it appeared, or something like that. But anyway, so but here's the problem. Um, there is a lawyer in Toronto that, that tweets, I stand with Morneau, right? And here's a guy that, by all appearances, has abused his position uh, to take advantage of his position and receive significant financial benefit, $41,000 is not chump change, um, because of his position. And then there's a quid pro quo going back to the people that gave him that benefit of $900 million. Uh, it's at least problematic if you look at things from the point of view of the rule of law, right? If you, if, if you believe in the concept that you can't buy government, the government yeah. is for the people. The idea that this sort of private business deal, if you will, is acceptable. Um, I understand partisan people, right? If you're liberal, you're conservative. If you think Jason Kenney's great, no matter what he does. If you think Justin Trudeau's great, no matter what he, I get that. But lawyers were supposed to aspire to something better. So the fact that this lawyer was so ridiculous as to say, I stand with Morneau was stunning, right? Yeah. And I said that to him, but then I searched the guy's name and I see some article he wrote uh, for the Toronto Star, where he was justifying uh, Justin Trudeau, basically dismissing um, one of the few uh, Indigenous members of Parliament and our Minister of Justice, no less, um, because she wouldn't succumb to uh, favoritism in favor of SNC-Lavalin. And this is what this guy wrote. This is a lawyer. This is someone that's supposed to believe in the rule of law and the concept of equal justice. And over and over again, it is obvious that this character had no compunction saying, what's wrong with uh, the elite helping the elite while yeah. we ignore the needs of the marginalized in our society, right? I just found that stunning. And, and, so, and so what bothers me, I guess, is is just that, that we, particularly as lawyers in the legal profession, we need to aspire to something better, even if it's not our reality yet. Even if courts are influenced by the judge's own political persuasions, 
or their own biases because they are all human beings and they carry biases. And even if um, politicians are swayed by donations and um, or influenced by factors that, that ignore the needs of the marginalized to a great degree, we still have to believe in something purer than that. And if we don't believe in something, I think, you know, we, we run the risk of, of anarchy or totalitarianism, uh, or at least tyranny of the majority, which is something similar, mm -hmm. and which is the kind of thing that brought us slavery, for example, mm -hmm. right? Um, now, you know, I, I don't think that we're going to end up with slavery again one day, but simply saying, well, if most people think it's okay to get rid of freedom of speech, uh, that doesn't make it okay. And to get back to this, the, the <clears throat> myth of justice having resonance or should have resonance with, with people. Um, and I think, uh, I worry that we're losing that a little bit. I worry that the legal profession has become a commodity that law societies have to some degree lost their way. You know, I, I was really distressed my last term at the law society because my own perception um, was that uh, there was an effort to um, undermine uh, the efficacy of the law society for the benefit of large law firms. Now, maybe I'm overstating that, but that was the, how I felt um, and so when I watch SNC-Lavalin and I watch the WE charity scandal and I watch yeah. people marching in the streets in, in favor of Black Lives Matter and in Canada, uh, I don't know more. Uh, I worry that we need to give these people something to believe in, right? We need to, uh, particularly as a profession, as lawyers, we need to be able to say to the public, you got a point and it may be broken, but we can aspire to something more rather than pretending that it's not problematic, which I worry we're collectively doing to some degree. Right. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's my soapbox today. There it is. Uh, like, what are your thoughts? Like, do you feel like, you no, know, I think that there's a difference for sure between what's ethical and what's legal. And, you know, I go back to, to studying when I studied uh, uh, in law school, I go back to my ethics class and they called it ethics. And it wasn't so much that I was studying as to what was ethical. I was studying as to what rules lawyers are bound by, what I needed to do to make our current system continue to operate the way that it always has. And that's struck me in law school and it still sticks with me that it's odd that you know, we studied ethics, but it wasn't, we weren't studying ethics. We were studying a system of rules that keeps our system going. Um, and so there's a difference, right, between what's ethical and what's legal. And when we're talking about justice being something that's fair, uh, that's where that interruption occurs, right? Is that uh, that's not what our system is exactly designed to give uh, an ethical outcome by any means. Um, but it is trying to get to some sort of fairness. Um, but like I say, on a given day, does it get that? I don't know. Uh, that's, that's tough. Yeah. Um, I think that's an interesting point. I remember when I was with Law Society, we had a retreat 
and uh, we were talking about um, um, encouraging or enforcing our ethical obligations on our members. Uh, and there's some really good people. I think the guy that was kind of chairing our small group was a guy named Daryl Pink, who uh, he's a former, uh, uh, I think was the executive officer for Daryl from Nova Scotia, if I remember, I think. Mm -hmm. If, if I've got that wrong, I apologize. But, uh, and, and it was kind of like what you're saying, right? Well, how do we teach lawyers and how do we require them to establish that they are following ethical guidelines? And, and, the, and the thing that I said that everybody seemed to think was kind of odd was I think we need to have a greater sense of pride in having those ethical obligations. Jeez, that it should be yeah, a badge of honor, right. that it shouldn't be seen as an obligation or a burden. It should be seen as something that we carry on our sleeve that makes us unique in, in the world of professionals to some degree. Um, and it's not a burden. It's, yeah. it's a, an honor to be part of a profession where your undertaking, for example, your promise to another lawyer is sacrosanct and that you break that promise at the risk of losing your professional uh, yeah. license. Um, and again, not a burden, but um, no. a badge of honor. And, and I'm not sure we do that, particularly with young lawyers. Like, do you ever get a sense of that when you're in law school that, that you should really feel proud that you have these obligations, that you should feel unique, that you are an integral part of, of the sense of really freedom and democracy, that you are part of what makes it possible for people to overcome adverse circumstances in society um, against the whims of the majority or the powerful. Um, and part of that is our ethical obligation. And I think we act like ethical obligations are either they get in the way of making money or they are a nuisance mm -hmm. um, and they're everything, but, you know, yeah. Uh, anyway. And, and I think that's something we could do as a profession is be more, uh, you know, maybe, you know, it sounds like I'm, you know, it's like, I, I see the light, right? It's like I'm the evangelist for, <laughs> uh, for justice. And I feel like that a little bit, you know, and maybe that's kind of what I'm doing today is, saying we need to see the light right we need to uh we need to really believe we need to be true believers in the idea of of justice as a as an ideal even if it'll never fully be attained um you know it's interesting i gave you a couple articles by this guy that's really down on the justice system um, yeah very critical and, and some of it was a bit of a rant but you know, one of the things he pointed out was, you know, it wasn't always that you had to be a lawyer to go to court. In fact, for a good part of, of you know, the first hundred years in the United States, most people did not have lawyers when they no, appeared right. before courts. And in fact, Abraham Lincoln was not a lawyer initially. He just represented people and he had to get, you know, <clears throat> approval and, and to be found to be a lawyer. Um, but not in the sense of what we do now, where we 
where the gatekeepers of privilege to be lawyers. Are, That's right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the guy had some good points about how, you know, since that started happening, since we, we created the monopoly of the legal profession under the, what some would call the pretense of public interest and others would say, you know, under the subtext of turf protection, um, we've also seen this grotesque expansion of complexity in terms of court filings and so forth. Yes, yeah. That helps assure that monopoly. And I couldn't help but agree with this guy a little bit. You, know, you look at what's been happening since the COVID thing hit, right? How many, how many announcements have you seen about process to bring things in front of a judge since, since it started? I can safely say dozens. Uh, I would venture to say maybe hundreds, but certainly dozens. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah. there's tons of them one way or another. Yeah. And, and they're hard to understand. They're not completely clear. I can't bear um, We talked about there. one of the documents that was expressly <clears throat> unclear until they kind of clarified it in terms of, so what do you do for a date on an application when, when it's yeah. one of these, you know, um, applications that might be uncontested or who knows. Right. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, and, and how do we know about these, right? Well, we get emails because we're lawyers. But if you're some self-rep that's got a problem right now, you're an average Joe or Jane, you don't get an email from the Court of Queen's Bench telling you, well, this is how we're going to do it this week. Although right? you could maybe sign up for their announcements without being a lawyer, but you wouldn't know too. Well, how would, would you know to do that? You wouldn't right? know to do it. Yeah, you wouldn't. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, and so what, and this is the reality of it. And nobody seems to have a problem with this, but, you know, um, how do you, how do you get around the court system? Right? Well, you start with the rules of court, right? And the rules of court set out the procedural requirements of, doing things in front of the court. Now, is that all there is, Tyler? <laughs> Not even close. That's even no. Think about this. I go to the courthouse wearing a suit, and I will have, by the time I get to my courtroom, they're the courtroom I'm supposed to be in, uh, I'll have, you know, five, six, up to 10 people ask me, where do I go? What do I do? There's not a sign. There's no indication. There, there's no, it's confusing. It's so confusing. That's, that's just walking into the shop, right? It's hard. But, 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 the, even, but, but the thing that gets me is the rules of procedure. Yeah. Well, it's not the rules of court because it's also practice notes. And for people yeah. that might be watching this that aren't lawyers, mm -hmm. well, you've got the rules of court, but then judges get to, get to change those rules or modify those rules or add to those rules effectively at their whim collectively. Now, not, it's, it's not the individual judges say, no, no. well, I'm not going to follow the rules today. I want you mm -hmm. to dance on one leg if you want to talk in front of me. Yeah. But the judges collectively uh, issue these practice notes. And the practice notes are not all the same throughout the province. No. There's practice notes in Edmonton. They're different from Calgary. And there's practice notes in Calgary and Edmonton. They're different from Red Deer and Lethbridge and Medicine Hat and so forth. Yeah. And, and these practice notes change periodically. And then since COVID came, we got all sorts of announcements about different procedures and practices. Yeah. And there's um, notices to the profession on top of that that are, again, different and you know, yeah. and, and I guess this guy posits, you know, in that article I sent you, and I tend to agree, why do they have to be so complicated? Right? What, we talked about this last time we spoke, you know, you've got to have bookmarks on your e-filed documents. Right? right? Why is that? 
It's a government bureaucracy, just like any other, just like calling CRA. It's, I mean, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think that's, I think people are feeling more and more estranged from justice. Mm-hmm. And they're finding it harder to believe in the ideal of justice, or if you will, the myth of justice. And I think we need to do a better job, number one, about supporting the myth, about maybe not the myth, let's call it the ideal, right? We need to speak loudly about the importance of the ideal of, you know, of fair justice. And if we're gonna talk about that ideal, we need to work harder to, to realize that ideal, right? We need to not ignore the fact that a good part of the country can't afford a lawyer when they have a legal problem. Yeah. Right. Now that doesn't mean that lawyers should be cheaper necessarily. Although there's an argument that we could be more efficient, mm-hmm. less expensive, but for sure the system could be simplified oh, with, yeah. without, in my opinion, a tremendous loss in the quality of justice. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think of that idea? I, there's no reason that we have to jump through the hoops we do, that we need an FL10 form and an FL18 form, uh, depending on which act you're bringing the, yeah. the claim under. I mean, yeah, it's it's tough, and yeah. it, there's no reason. There's no need. Bring so I'm going to throw you under a bus here just for a second. Oh, yeah, all right, great. In, in, not in a negative way. But you recently had a court application where a judge gave you an order that you hadn't applied for. That's true, yes. Right? Yeah. And the other lawyer didn't particularly oppose it. Uh, and the other lawyer didn't apply for it either, I should be clear. Nobody yeah. applied for yeah. that. Relief. So you're both arguing about support issues, but there was no parenting application. Right. And the judge made a parenting order. Which was probably necessary to determine the support, right. but yes. So, so it's not my point to criticize. My point <laughs> <take> is... <laughs> There was a determination that was just, and nobody was caught by surprise. Right, definitely. Um, so it's like, okay, let me understand this. We've got these incredibly complex rules of procedure and forms up the asshole, but somehow a judge found a way to make a decision that was appropriate for the parties without one of these applications being filed. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that, but my right. point is, if you had filed a document that said, can you tell us what to do about these kids between the two of us, period, yours truly, I think a judge would figure it out. And I think he would understand what you're worried about. But if he didn't fully, he'd say to the people, so do you have a dispute about who's going to look after these kids most of the time? And right. you'd say, well, no, or yes. Okay, and do we have a dispute about what child support's going to look like? How are you going to share the financial obligations for his children? <clears throat> yes or no. And then he'd be able to listen to what you had to say about that. Right. And he'd make a decision. Yeah. And it didn't take bookmark documents three inches thick to do that. Right? No, nope, that was actually a pretty, I mean, it actually got delayed much longer than it needed to uh, because the process has changed in the midst of my filing. But, uh, and so it never was sent to the judge in an appropriate amount of time. But other than that, uh, yeah, it was, I filed, 
I don't know, eight pages, nothing major. And we got some, we got these people moving on in that dispute, moving forward to get towards closer towards resolution. Yeah, it can happen. It's so anyway, so my point is, we can make justice easier for people that don't have lawyers. Yeah. Right? Now, in my opinion, if you have the ability to have a lawyer, they're of great value. Yes. Because people without lawyers, and, and I've, you know, I've read mm -hmm. studies that my uh, NSRLP has put out, they do phenomenally better than people without lawyers. There's a reason we go to law school. There's a reason that we practice and our experience in a courtroom and understanding and being able to quickly get to what's important and what matters and, and how to put a case before a judge in a way that helps them best consider your position. Um, there is a value to that, right? Without question. But that being said, you know, the, the, the procedural formalities um, and the hoops that people are required to jump are stunningly more obtuse than they need to be, in my opinion. Yeah, no question about that. Um, so, you know, so we talk about the myth of justice or the ideal of justice. As lawyers, you know, I think we should do more of what we're doing right now and say, uh, why don't you make it a little simpler, yeah. right? Or how about this, right? And, and, and I've had this conversation with uh, justice constituencies, judges and administration. Mm -hmm. um, why don't you include consumers in your uh, review and reconsideration of processes, right? Why don't you actually pick some clients, some legal consumers, even self-represented parties, mm -hmm. and include them in the discussion? But they don't. Right? They'll say things like, well, we're going to poll the public. Yeah, okay. Well, what if we polled the judges? Could you imagine <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to reconstitute the justice system and we're going to make all sorts of new rules and things and the judges will go, well, aren't we invited to the discussion? No, but we'll poll you later. <laughs> Could you imagine the outcry? Right? Um, or lawyers for that matter or True. Yeah. court administration. But if you took one of the constituents completely out of the discussion and said, yeah. we're going to create a new sort of set of rules and procedures and we're not even going to talk to you, but we'll ask what you think about it after we're done. Right. Whether it's law society, whether it's lawyers, whether yeah. it's judges, whether it's court administration. Um, if we didn't include those people in the discussion, they would lose their freaking minds. Right. Yeah. But the probably the most important participant in the justice system is the public. That's right. Are the people whose lives are at stake and whose livelihoods matter. And almost universally, my experience is we don't ask them what they want. Yeah. While we're while we're having that discussion. Um, you know, because they just don't know. They're just too stupid and ignorant like us smart lawyers. Uh, <laughs> and you know as well as I do, right? So there's some lawyers that are brilliant. Yeah. And there are some lawyers that are just, you know, very deficient in the intelligence sort of spectrum. Okay. Um, am I wrong? I won't disagree with you. No, that's okay. the fair. Yeah, that's fair. You know. Um, Where I land on the spectrum, I don't know, but yeah. Oh, you're one of the good ones, Tyler, clearly. Oh, well, okay. If Rob says so. But my point is we've got fallible lawyers, judges, clerks, government administration, you know, I mean, yeah. our former minister of justice, lovely woman, Kathleen mm -hmm. Ganley. How long right. did she practice when she was made the minister? Four years, five years, I think. 
It was little, I know. I it, it, was, yeah. it was in that area. Minister of Justice, right? And, and not to discredit her, but the idea that, that we as lawyers and the politicians and the administration are just so much smarter and have so much more to provide the discussion of how justice should be administered than yeah. people is just the height of arrogance. Yeah, I think you're right about In that. In my opinion. Some very intelligent clients yeah. who don't like what they had to go through, didn't like that system. Yeah. And they would have some very valuable input. Yeah. yeah. Like one of the things that, that people maybe don't fully understand at Law Society, when we do discipline hearings mm. and on our, on our benchers, on our board of directors, we have uh, several uh, lay benchers, people that are not lawyers. Yeah. Um, and on hearings, there's always one lay bencher on a three-person panel. And they provide incredibly valuable insight and input mm. from the kind of outside looking in perspective when we're looking at judging what lawyers have done or, or should have done, or when we're looking at how we do things as a law society. And I think um, we should emulate that more broadly in the justice sort of discussion generally. And that gets back to the idea of Themis, mm -hmm. the, uh, the myth of justice being something worth cherishing, even as it is glaringly imperfect. Right. Something to aspire to. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think sending a message to young people that as, as problematic as justice is, it's still the only system we have and um, rather than try to tear it down, uh, engage it and demand to improve it. Yes. Um, you know, and part of the issue right now is the public doesn't, to some degree, care all that much until people start burning down courthouses. Right. right. And they're all upset. Well, I work to make the justice system more relevant to everyone, not just people with pockets full of money. Yeah. You might see fewer courthouses being burned down. Yeah, maybe it's an idea. I mean, it's tough because our our administration of the legal system uh, and the legal system as a whole and laws generally come from the people who are in charge, who are on the top, who are often, at least in our society, the most wealthy, the least marginalized yeah. generally. And you'll see that that... Um, you know, that majority bias trickles down and maybe that's not even, a, maybe that's not even an, enough of a statement. Maybe it's more than trickles down, but that's, yeah, it's a tough situation. Yeah. So I like your advice to young people like me, uh, let's aspire for better. Let's aspire for more. Yeah, I think so. I think it's worth uh, uh, engaging the public and saying, we understand that we could do better. We still yeah. think the system is better than the alternative, which is chaos, right? A rule of you know tyranny of the majority. Yeah. Um, but we're listening, and yeah. we're willing to try to do better. So. Cheers to that. Cheers. I'm done my iced tea and rum. I'm done. So. Call it a day. What do you got going on? You're parenting, I'm guessing, on some level. 
yeah, you know what? We've had a pretty productive time since uh, the birth of our new baby. Uh, the birth was very quick, labor was quick, and my wife has recovered very quickly. And so, uh, unlike our first, which was a long labor and longer recovery, so uh, so yeah, I've had a little more of a relaxing week off than I did last time. That's uh, good. And me and my son have even uh, uh, torn some of our decks apart and restained them. And uh, yeah, we're having lots of fun. It's been a good week. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, any plans uh, for the rest of the day? Uh, no, that's it. I think we're going to go enjoy some of the beautiful sunshine that we get here in Southern Alberta. Yeah. Like I said, I, had, I golfed this morning and it was nice. I had my son yeah. who's uh, here before he goes to Russia. Whatever that may happen, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's. Uh, they're still telling him he's going to go. Oh wow! Um, but you know, um, they're dealing with the same kind of shit we are. Do you open the schools? Do you open them full time? Yeah. Um, you know, do you need more teachers or less teachers? Yeah, it's an yeah. interesting discussion. But yeah, that is interesting. Actually, anyway, another day. <laughs> so, um, thanks for joining me today. And again, anyone. Uh, that would like to engage us, uh, our emails on our website, or you can make comments on the YouTube site. And we're happy to, uh, to discuss anything interests you about our uh, discussions. Sounds good. All right. All right, well, uh, have a good rest of the weekend, everybody. And maybe by the time you see this, you're back at work and it's the week again, but yeah. good luck. Take care.